So when you think about the future, in my mind, it's personalization. Me seeing what I want to see when I want to see it. And we do think that our technology go outside of just stats and analytics because of our tracking to be able to empower some of those things. Welcome to another edition of the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, media, tech, innovation, disruption, all kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, maybe the last one we will be doing in the year 2021. Yeah, Joe, good to be with you as always. Um, and it's and it's yeah, hard to believe it's probably the last one of, of this calendar year. I was in the Apple podcast um, app before, and I was looking for a specific one of our pods from, from the past, and I had to go on the um, uh, the section that showed all episodes and it mm. said all 256 episodes. And mm. then I looked at when I scrolled down, first one was published December 23rd, 2015. Wow. So six years next week. And um, I think we've been incorrectly saying that the first one was with Neha Agrawal. It was actually with Isis Tillis. I just tell us because we recorded one with Neha and it got deleted. Yes, so. right, <laughs> right. We were learning how to do podcasts uh, real time. You and I did a, uh, we each recorded a, a little session on our stories from our backgrounds, you about your doing business in the five boroughs and me about visiting the Playboy Mansion. So those were, that was technically mm -hmm. the first episode. Um, and then we did ISIS. And I remember meeting in that room in Lewiston yep. Hall yep. with our little microphone. And here we are. Now and I haven't been back in Lewis Hall in almost two years now. <laughs> exactly. So. Crazy. Um, anyway, yeah, Joe, um, it's, uh, it's a weird time. Nice that the holidays are upon us, but obviously we're living through some tough stuff still with the virus um, that will not go away. And it's just been a little bit alarming. But look, we're going to have to deal with this again going into a new year. I know we're back to campus, expected to be back to campus in January, which I hope comes to fruition. Um, well, but, yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that because today being December 17th and Sam Marks who's in my class and is one of our producers uh, yesterday, December 16th for our last um, presentation, uh, we got the call at 12 o'clock for a two o'clock class that we were banned from campus and had to scramble to get everybody online, which hopefully was a one off and not something that we will be needed going forward. Oh, sure. I didn't. Yeah, I heard about that announcement. I didn't realize it was right before yeah. your class began. Yeah, two hours, literally walking out the door and Scott called and said, uh, don't go anywhere. So. Yeah. Well, one so, thing we've gotten really good at is Zoom meetings, yeah. Zoom podcasts yeah. and Zoom classes. So uh, that's that's one thing we've mastered. But let's get into our show. We've got a great guest. Yeah. So why don't you introduce him to everybody and then we'll get into our conversation. So when you talk about disruption and innovation and coming from different places to where you are today. Uh, I don't know if we've had anybody from Trinidad on our show before, Tom, but uh, uh, in five years, we want to keep breaking the mold. And like I said, here we are, you know, and, and I would say as NFL is winding down, but college hoops, especially men and women's college hoops is hopefully continuing to heat up and we'll be continuing to play. Um, and someone who really was at the forefront of, of disruption and innovation and technology around starting with basketball, but in many other places, is our guest today. Uh, and that's Davion Ross, the president and co-founder of DD Sports. And, and many people in the industry know Shot Tracker and the investors that they've had and kind of where they've gone with everything from tech on the bench to fan engagement to so many other pieces of making uh, the basketball world, especially the college basketball world, um, so engaging for fans and better for coaches and players. So, uh, Davion Ross, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you, gentlemen. It's good. It's good to. It's good to hear you guys. It's good to see you guys. It's really a pleasure to be here. All right, I'll yeah. jump in with the first question, Davion. So, you've got a really interesting background that started uh, in college, where you played basketball, and you can talk about that. But more interestingly to me, you were computer science and math and business major, I believe. That's correct. And I noticed that you went to college between the years 1996 and 2000, which happens to be the beginning of the digital age, as yeah. we discussed in my class. And 
what you did after was quite interesting to me because I think that's when I first got to hear about you having been in the digital business with Digital Broadcast Group and, and stuff like that. Why don't you talk about first, I guess, the, how basketball kind of brought you, to, uh, the, the basketball experience brought you into, into this world and, and how the computer science study ended up leading you to a career in technology. Absolutely. So um, again, it's really a privilege to be here. Um, so I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. And, you know, if, 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 if the listeners don't know, Trinidad and Tobago is a small island in the Caribbean, uh, right off the coast of Venezuela, almost one of the most southerly islands. Um, we're small but mighty. I like to say we, we've had some success in the Olympics with track and, and that type of stuff. Decent soccer team or football, as we call it down there. Um, but, you know, I started... Uh, um, you know, playing for the Trinidad national team. I didn't get to play any games. And I was very fortunate that, you know, someone told a coach at, at, at Benedictine about me. And um, I had just started playing basketball, but I grew like six inches in less than a year. And, you know, I was definitely an athlete playing other sports, but, you know, I was fortunate to be able to get a basketball scholarship, which was my entree into the U.S. And um, I went to Benedictine College um, had a good career, career there. As you said, I was computer science, math, and business um, with an emphasis on computer science. Um, you're right. It was digital age. You know, I think back about it, and I wish I was more entrepreneurial then because, you know, I would have been buying up domain names like crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I mean, I was but, were you, but were you conscious of, like, what was happening as you were doing your studies? Because there, well, there was that whole, right, that, yeah. that, the whole explosion of digital activity around 1995, 1996 that you must have been paying attention to? Well, I, I, you know, look, a lot of times we look back and we try to say, hey, you know, I had the vision. I don't think I had the vision, to be honest with you. I was really, <laughs> I was really focusing on being a math major. And I remember meeting with my advisor and she's like, well, if you're a math major, um, you're either going to teach or go into research. And I'm like, none of those excite me. What are my other options? They're like, well, if you're pretty strong in math, then computer science is a good place to be. And, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed like the automation of things. I mean, we were still using, you know, all the computers back then, uh, gateways and, and that type of stuff. So, you know, I had a hunch, but I, I didn't lean in as much as I should have to be, you know, just hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. I did not leaning as much as I, I should have. Although I will tell you a funny story. My senior year, and tell me if this company sounds familiar. My senior year of college, we built um, a technology solution that was built by the university. So it started in .edu. And the whole concept was to create this place where um, alumni can gather and post pictures and give status oh updates of their, of, of their companies, uh, sorry, of their families, because when they leave college, they weren't connected. It wasn't hot or not. I was going to say, I was going to get hot or not, but I know that was taken by somebody we know. Yeah, that's the only thing that we were missing. But this was in, you know, this was in 1999. And it it became our senior thesis project that we had to build. And we built it on the whole premise. Like we went down a different path, right? We built it on the whole premise that, you know, you could actually, you know, it was good for the school to allow alumni to connect because that gave them a connection into them. Because when they left school, they couldn't, and for small private schools, they got most of their donations. It's not coming from the state. So if you think about it, you know, we were ahead of the curve back in 2000 and then 2005, we, we, we missed the mark by not going to hot or not, you know, perspective, <laughs> but you know, it was still a great experience when we got out of college. It's probably one of the reasons why I decided to stay in the US versus go play pro, because I had some offers to go play overseas. And then I had an offer from Sprint to get into engineering. Um, as using my computer science degree. And then we were trying to bring this company to the market. But my school, we didn't learn a lot. Like venture wasn't big back then. So we were literally, we went ahead and like on our credit card, we put 20,000 in parts. We built our own server. We ran DSL in my boy's uh, mom's house basement that we were hosting our server. And this was 2000. So we were really on the cusp of it. And um, that was probably the, the closest that I get that I got to where I really started to lean in to technology. And I wish I did back in, you know, when I started in 96, right, because it would have been a whole different, um, a whole different experience. But that's when we really started to lean in. Um, so I've been fortunate to really just this intersection of basketball and 
and, and, and technology. Um, and, and here we are today, you know, this, this evolution of Shot Tracker and, well, digital broadcasting, which I did prior to that. So there must have been a moment where you had that entrepreneurial uh, urge to, to try what you ended up creating. When did that happen and how did that happen? Um, I think it happened. So I had a little bit of a taste of it when I was like in high school in Trinidad, right? But it wasn't technology at all. It was, you know, my parents coming to the U.S. buying baseball caps and me going back into high school and selling them, putting people on layaway plans and, you know, just getting a real extens- uh, uh, exponential return and really liking these. So that was my first taste or my first foray. But then when I got out of college and, you know, I was working with a big company in Sprint, I'm very grateful for them giving me the opportunity, helping me start in the process of me being able to stay in the U.S. But, you know, when we built that project, we started to think about, man, what if we could run and own a company and, you know, do these types of things. And, you know, that was where I started to really think about um, just being a, a true entrepreneur in the technology realm. And then I think when you work in a large organization and you don't necessarily have, I mean, I was a tech lead, so I had my own group, but I couldn't really impact the organization in a way that I wanted to. Um, It made me started thinking about entrepreneur more because I had more control and I could control my own destiny and that type of stuff. So it was probably around that, I would say, 2000, 2003 realm. And in 2003, I got the opportunity where my manager and director from Sprint literally quit Friday, called me Monday. And I went over and did a consulting firm with them. I was like employee number four. That grew to 100 plus people working on projects at BlackBerry, Research in Motion in Toronto, Waterloo Kitchener, um, overseas with Deutsche Telekom, et cetera. So it was a great experience. But just seeing them start something from scratch and then being able to sell it to a public company, um, that was that was like the true inspiration to, hey, if they could do this, you could do this because you played such a critical role in that evolution of that company. Cool. Um, so, so a couple things. One is, so Tom, when they make the social network too, as Arnie Hammer <laughs> played the Winklevi, I think Mahershala Ali could play Davion is kind of like someone in the like Midwest it. trying to figure right. out how to do this. Right. We always hear about the success stories. Let's hear the failure stories. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, so how do you go from, you know, always having this passion for sports and being around a company Sprint that was very involved early on in technology around sports uh, in the Midwest, which has always been undervalued for technology and, and really, you know, you guys, especially being in Kansas City, um, have been kind of the leader in that space. So how do you go from that area and, and realizing that, wow, there's a basketball and a, a, a media play here. So take us through the next step of of yeah, where absolutely. that came to eventually get the shot tracker. Yeah, so there's there's a couple steps that came, right? So when I was actually going through the process of, you know, that consultancy, it was called Evergence. And um, it was at the point where they were buying, being purchased by a, a, a public company. And of course, as a leader, they wanted me to go to the public company. And I'm like, no, I, I, you know, at that point in time, you get paid well, you didn't get equity, you didn't, you weren't hip to the game. So I didn't necessarily, I got a great salary, great experience, but I didn't necessarily benefit like the founders. So at that point in time, I went through this process of, okay, I need to be doing what I love. And I love sports and I love tech. So I went through this process of, you know, what, where are the gaps in tech and sports that I could potentially capitalize on? And I started writing now stuff. And, you know, that's where digital sports ventures came about, right? Um, which was almost a precursor to Shot Tracker. So, and I built that company syndicating college sports video. We sold it to Digital Broadcasting Group, which was a top five video ad network. You know, I got really good at my golf game for a year and then decided to get into Shot Tracker and start Shot Tracker. And, you know, I can't take the credit for the original, like, hey, let's do Shot Tracker. It was my co-founder, Bruce Yanni, who literally, you know, he was in the backyard shooting hoops with his son. And, you know, he's like a, he's a, he's not a, he, he's really good at tech, but he was a chemistry major. And, um, you know, any type of entrepreneur you think about, you can't really improve what you don't measure. So he was, you know, in the backyard with his son, wanted to track his shots. And of course, you know, I played basketball at a high level, had a great career, was a shooter, led the nation in field goal percentage my senior year. So he literally called me up and said, hey, man, how did you do this? And for most basketball players, you got to make 500 jumpers a day. 
right? So make 500 means you're shooting anywhere from, depending on how good you are, seven to a thousand, maybe seven to 1200, you know, jumpers. And it was really a manual process. And it's only after that, we decided to partner up and build Shot Tracker. But if you think about it, it Shot Tracker has had its own little evolution also. Mm -hmm. You know, we initially started off as this consumer product that would be, you know, more for the backyard. And we went through that process. We built the technology. We had to solve a lot of problems. Uh, it was a sensor on the wrist, sensor in the net. And we were just doing shot attempts, makes a miss targeted at the backyard. But, you know, as you guys know, when you're trying to build a company going B to C, I mean, that's, that's hard. You had to raise a ton of money. So we started to understand like what the opportunities are. And we, after we talked to probably about 50 to 60 coaches, we realized that there was a gap in regards to how to capture data in practice and games. The challenge for us is that the solution that we developed for B2C one-to-one was not applicable to a end-to-end -end type of solution. When I say end-to-end, -end, I mean, in a basketball practice is multiple basketballs, multiple players, multiple hoops and you have to keep track of everything. So we had to go back to the drawing board and build out the technology that would allow us to execute on that vision. And here we are today, Shot Tracker. But even within that, there's been evolutions, right? We initially started focusing on giving that data to practice. And when we saw the gap and the lack of, I would say, objectivity and statistics gathering, meaning that you know, somebody could be having a bad day and we're human, so they're gonna be missing stuff. And, you know, it's not an automated process. It's a manual process to capture stats. We just saw a really big opportunity um, to, to be able to deliver this data for media. We think the future is sports betting. And we like to think that, you know, when you think about like high frequency trading and what has happened to that evolution of, this, of, the, of the, uh, the, the stock exchange, you realize that there's a real opportunity to provide real-time data and use that data for multiple purposes across the board. David, I'm curious about how you approached your business development as you started to get to the high-level world, Michigan State and Kansas and places like that. Because now, and I don't know when this started, but there's three sensor elements to the business. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what you're doing on the players, the, the, the wearable sensors, stuff that's in the arena and stuff that's on the ball. Correct. correct? Yeah, in the ball. It takes a lot of selling in because you got to get obviously the players, the coaches, yeah. the administration, probably, or at least the athletic director to agree to all that. Then you have to have the facility agree to that. How did that all come about? We have, do we have drinks on this podcast? Because we're, we're going into Feel free. right now. <laughs> it's Friday. It is Friday. It's Friday. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Um, Look, it's it's probably one of the most it's a it's a it's a good question. It's a thought provoking questions because it's probably one of the most complex things about our, our business. Just to be really honest, there's like so many moving parts, and that's why, like, you know, I, I have to give credit to our team because it's it's like the the grit and the determination, the persistence, and the creativity of our team that's allow us to get here. Because let's be real, I mean, I'm going to complicate it even more not only do you have to work with the coaches, but you have to work with their, these guys are creatures of habit. I, I shot every free throw. My first year in college, I shot better from the field than I did from the free throw line. So literally that summer, I was working on my free throws and I jumped from like 52% to like 78% my sophomore year and kept going up, right? Because I got to the free throw line a ton. So I needed to be making my free throws. And you know, part of it is repetition, right? And, and when I say, the reason I bring up the free throw story is because from my sophomore to my senior year, I shot every free throw the exact same way. So my point is, is that basketball players are creatures of habit. And if you're trying to change their process, their habit, that's a pretty big deal to be able. So we have to be as transparent as possible. So not only is it getting like those folks on board, but the hardest part is, the basketball market is not like the NBA where they choose one ball and they use that ball. You have to go find, if you're a Nike school, you're using the Nike ball in your home games. When you play against somebody in your conference, that's an Under Armour or Adidas school, you're practicing two days before with the Under Armour or Adidas ball. And then when you go play in your conference tournament, there's one ball. 
when you go play in other MTEs is another ball. And when you play in March Madness, it's a different ball. So now from our perspective, we have to go and build relationships with Spalding, Wilson, Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, Moulton, Baden for international. So when you think about it, like that was probably the most complex thing for us. And we accomplished that. And it was, you know, it's by the grace of God, a lot of faith, a little bit of stalking, a couple of restraining orders. I mean, like literally, you know, it was all of the above to bring that to fruition and everybody, you know, so it was very, very challenging. But I mean, we were determined. And part of it was getting a few of the key guys to understand the power of data. Now, we were very fortunate because the Warriors started playing small ball and they started to talk it about like both the Warriors and the Rockets started to talk about, you know, just the evolution of analytics and how it impacted the game. So we were fortunate that we were around that time where we could point to what people were doing. But the difference is, is those folks had, you know, you know, a whole data science team to make it happen. And what we were doing was automating that. And I think a lot of these colleges want to win so bad that if you make any sense and if you could actually show them that this is real and, and show them that this data is directly correlated to their success and wins, then they're going to believe. And, and the other thing, I, the last thing I will say is that the beauty of our system is that it didn't take a ton of convincing for the coaches because a lot of the people, they were, they were doing it with manpower. Like, so for instance, someone like Duke or KU would have anywhere from 10 to 20 ball managers sitting there tracking what's going on in a game, which is inefficient and they're limited. So, so it, again, it was a combination of stuff, very convoluted, very complex, um, very scary for investors because you had to have so many things be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but man, by the grace of God, we made it happen and we're still making it happen. So, so in terms of making it happen for those who don't know, uh, close to 70 schools, the Big 12, investments from Everts Microsystems, Verizon. Another round earlier on, which was led, and we'll talk a little bit about mentorship by the late David Stern, who was a big influence on your career, you've said multiple times. Um, the Phoenix Suns practice facility, uh, subsequent latency, you just had a, uh, a tournament in Kansas City uh, with the NABC where Shot Tracker was displayed not just for basketball, Tom, but also in the arena and on broadcast. They tried it last year uh, and successfully tested it in a high school tournament in New Mexico, high school basketball. So how, um, how did all that, how has all that evolved? And you talk about a staff, but is it, um, why do people come to Shot Tracker for, for where they are right now and, and the success that you've built that, with that narrative? Yeah, that's a fair question. I mean, I think one, it's because of, you know, I think people like David Stern and, and those types of thought leaders, right? I think David and Magic and, you know, just our team being evangelists has played a significant role, right? When you think about, you know, the evolution of the NBA and what the NBA was, you know, pre-David Stern and post-David Stern, I mean, you know, that was one of the guys who can actually see around corners, you know, three, four times around corners. So mm -hmm. when you have those types of leaders involved alongside, you know, us pushing the envelope and executing from a technology perspective, um, I think people start listening and people start watching. And I think like, look, you know, no matter what we say about humans, we have a desire, like in general, we have a desire to be better, to win more, to, and, and we are looking for all the things that can help as part of that process. And we end up being, you know, one of those things. And I think people want to push the envelope. They want to engage. We're seeing we're becoming such a, a creator economy and a society of, you know, innovation and, and, and really trying to take things to the next level that we end up being um, we, we're thought leaders and we end up providing the infrastructure and the technology to help empower that. And I think that's what's, you know, really helping us out, why people come to us. Um, so we, we hope that we continue to be in that place and continue to be leaders and continue to push the envelope and just show people innovative things. A lot of times, you know, what people are talking about, we're doing it. You know, I mm -hmm. see people in these conferences, they go up and they talk about, yeah, the future is this. And, you know, I was at the NBA tech summit and I'm listening to stuff and I'm like, yo, you're talking about that coming in two years. We did that last week at the big 12 tournament, you know? So that's, that's kind of what we need to continue to do. Let them talk about what's coming and we'll just bring it to fruition 
I got uh, two reactions to, to what you've been saying the last few minutes. One is, it occurred to me that, Joe, that Charles Barkley will never be invited into the board of directors or board of advisors for Shock Tractor. <laughs> I just listened to Kevin Durant's most recent business podcast, the et cetera, as Charles was the guest, always entertaining Charles Barkley. And he, and he took the opportunity once again to share his aversion to, quote, analytics. Yeah. Uh, and God, he's just too funny. He's like tripling and quadrupling down on his aversion to this. Uh, in, one, this case, if, wait, wait, in this case, I just want to finish this point. This is a funny yeah. comment. I think it was that podcast because he's done this repeatedly, including live on TV on, on a show, TNT. But Joe, I think in this one, he said, they make up the, something, I'm pa completely paraphrasing, but the essence of it was they're making up these jobs because the owner's son-in-law need, need jobs or something. <laughs> so that, but that's, a, I have a serious question on the other side of that, Damian. So what, and this is a, a thing we talk about in my digital media class. There's so much technology available, so, much, so many um, ways to capture data, collect it, organize it, store it, et cetera. But there does need to be on the other side of the equation, the users in terms of their resources, meaning teams or leagues or whatever, that have the capacity in terms of their business intelligence teams, their own resourcing, to actually really use it and make it valuable to your, to your last point. Like they can make it actionable. Are you seeing that there's a, there's a leveling of that? Like, you know, the great stuff happening on the tech side and the stuff that's happening on the usage side? I mean, I, I'm definitely seeing it. Um, I think as you go down the stack, it, it gets more challenging, right? Because like at the professional leagues, they have the budget and to have multiple people and to have the resources. But, you know, I've seen a lot of colleges add like a director of analytics, um, a director of player personnel, a director of statistics, et cetera. So I am seeing, you know, the adoption. And, you know, I think part of it is like, I think Charles's biggest concern is the fact that he feels like some, there is a group of people that believes that it's all analytics and it's less about coaching. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that that's his really his his rub. Right. And I, I can't say that I disagree with him. I mean, I think that it's you know, I think analytics should be like, I don't think you're ever going to replace the eye test by a coach and the knowledge that a coach has. But I do think that there's things that coaches don't see that you can use. And analytics needs to be a complement. Right. You're not going to eliminate all coaches and just put an analytics and a robot to run the team. You know, that's just never going to happen. And I think. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, that's more his rub just based on things I've heard, heard him say. Um, but but yeah, man, I think it's 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 we're starting to see the implementation. But when people think about analytics, right, they 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 only think about it as like, you know, um, standard deviation and, you know, all the true analytical statistical terms. Right. They don't think about it to the point where like our track and technology can you know, streamline the process of how you get video to your players and coaches without having somebody manually sitting there cutting up video. And, and how can we help a coach understand, for instance, what we did at the Hall of Fame where, hey, when he makes three to five passes, he's much more successful as a team than when there's zero to three passes. Or, you know, like Coach Pope at BYU would say, you know, we really try to use this to figure out where I need to put my players in the right place to get their right shots. Because coming off on the left, right, he's better than the right, left. And the data shows that. Or maybe when I run this play with these five players to the right, I'm more successful for whatever reason than when I run it to the left. So from my perspective, we're starting to see that adoption. We're starting to go out of it just being pure analytics and it being like operational efficiency in regards to how you do things, how can I give you information in real time, you know, so that you could actually make decisions versus after the, after the game when you're already lost. So, so I'm definitely seeing that, 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 um, that, that, that embrace, I would call it by, you know, multiple levels and even at the high school levels, you know. How, um, one thing I wanted to go back to quickly is your choice of partners and, and the reason why you're in college sports. Uh, there are organizations that do this and you guys have dabbled a little bit on the NBA side and have talked about the NFL. Um, 
why why have you been so successful in college? What's different from men's and women's basketball on the college side, say the NBA, the WNBA? Um, I think there's a couple reasons, couple things. One, I think right on the NBA level, um, there's some organizational hurdles that that we have to deal with, right? So again, a lot of things we we end up looking smart, but it was just you know the reality of the situation, right? So when you think about you know we're a sensor-based solution in the NBA is still trying to negotiate with the PA for players to wear sensors, right? So mm-hmm. that's a hurdle. I mean, we tested the ball with them right before the pandemic um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the summer league, and that was really successful. And then the pandemic came, and then they switched from Spalding to Wilson from a ball manufacturer mm-hmm. perspective. So you talk about, you know, that being a little bit painful. Um, but I think at the collegiate level, there's multiple things. Um, it, you know, recruiting is competitive. So I think teams are looking for anything in a competitive edge that will tell them, hey, I have the tools to make you successful. I also think that in college, um, you know, it's, it's really based on performance, right? Like, you know, in the pros, these, these players are making the money they make and, you know, I mean, based on, I mean, there are incentives, you get new contracts, et cetera. But when you think about college, I mean, and we think about the college system where, you know, the higher you ranked, the more you get into the NCAA tournament, the more you win, the more money your school gets, right, based on their unit system. So I think that there's a direct correlation to winning and performance and the financial components that go with it that I think is also a driver. Um, I also think that, like, um, a lot of these – I also think that um, in college, you have a little bit more of a system game, you know, versus uh, – mm-hmm you know, hey, I got LeBron and I'm just going to give him the ball and let him make magic, right? I mean, when you look at people who are probably shouldn't be in the tournament or having success in the tournament is because they have good coaching, you yeah. know? So I think these are, I mean, look, there's no silver bullet, but I think these are just a few things in regards to why we have seen success. Um, and uh, and uh, it's, it's been a fun ride. I mean, we're still working through it. There's still a long way to go. Um, we're not perfect. That's for dang sure. Um, but, you know, we are seeing a little bit of success there. How, how transferable is it to other sports as a practical matter? Yeah, so fair question. I mean, we think it's, it's fully transferable. I think from our perspective, um, you know, I think that there's different components that are more transferable than others. Um, when we think about the fact, if you think about the core of our system, right, which is the, you know, let's just take basketball out of it, but it's a tracking system that could actually track the location of the player and ball in real time and deliver, you know, XYZ coordinates with, with subsequent latency, right? And that data can be used to, 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 to really control a camera. I mean, we, we had somebody in ice skating who said, hey, I'd like to set up these cameras and create ISO cams by, for every player from every different angle. Well, the only way to really do that with, you know, one subset of cameras and not a bunch of cameras following the individuals is to have static cameras and use our data to control it. Um, the fact that we can make this portable to go to deliver an all 22 feed ISO for everybody on the football field without 22 people holding cameras following a different player. So, I mean, from us, from our perspective, there's, you know, the core platform that is fully transferable and, 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 and portable to other sports. And then there's the algorithmic layer that's more sports specific, right? Like a basketball assist may be transferable to a hockey assist, but it's still a basketball assist. And there's still things. So, so that's the piece that I think requires a little bit more work when you think about the algorithms and the statistics and the rules associated with the sport. But the core technology, which is the tracking of objects within two to four centimeter accuracy in real time with subsequent latency is fully transferable. So, so along those lines, uh, the business lines, you touched a little bit on gambling, but talk a little bit about fan engagement both in arena and on broadcast and also gambling and some of the other things where this could be obviously beneficial for brands or for leagues or for teams going yeah. forward. Absolutely. So from us, from a fan engagement perspective, when we think about fan engagement, you know, we think about like, I think what we've seen now. So for instance, I was looking at it. There were, there's probably about 15 to 20 basketball Twitter handles that have hundreds of thousands of followers and all they're doing is breaking down basketball statistics and analytics and giving insight while the game is going on. So what that tells us is that there's a hunger from the fan 
for more data, more information, more insights, right? It's really hard to deliver that if everything is being done at a manual level. You don't have objectivity, you don't have consistency, and there's a limit of how much can be done, right? So let's limit it to the box score, where with our systems, we're able to go way beyond the box score to provide insights. So we just think that there's a huge thirst and a hunger from fans to get more about their teams, right? That huge hunger. And we think that with the things that we're doing automatically, those are things that we can make happen and we can help to, 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 to spur on or to incite that movement and that phenomenon that we're seeing over the last, let's just say five to six, five to seven years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think that when you think about fan engagement, I think, um, I think about multiple things. I think about how we control cameras. So let's all, I'll tell you right now, I don't have a cable box in my house, right? I have cable coming in as the Spectrum app on my Apple TV. What that means is the control and the things that I could do and, the, and I could allow the consumer to do is much, much, much more sophisticated than when there was a over-the-top cable box that we didn't have control of, right? We didn't even, at one point in time, we don't even know what people are watching. That's the crazy stuff, right? And, and they're inferring on that. But when you think about like my son, when he plays his Xbox, the first thing he does is he gets the camera angles that he thinks gives him an advantage that he knows I dislike, right? That's his competitive advantage. Now, if you think about some of the things that we did in the Big 12, where we're able to take our data, control the cameras, we could make that just like how my son changes his camera angles for Xbox, we could make that available. And these are things that we are working on right now to the end consumer. If they wanted to watch it from the sky cam, if they want, if, if, if let's say a play happened and they wanted to go and choose which camera they have control of right now, that is happening at the broadcast level and they're controlling what we see. But when you think about fan engagement and you engaging, maybe you are, you are a fan of this player because of sports betting and you want to have a picture in picture with an ISO just on him. Maybe you need a Zion cam, right? Mm-hmm. With all the dunks that Zion did in March Madness. So when you think about the future, in my mind, it's personaliz- personalization. Me seeing what I want to see when I want to see it. And we do think that our technology go outside of just stats and analytics because of our tracking to be able to empower some of those things. The last thing I'll talk about is the sports betting. We don't do a ton of it in college because we're trying to be sensitive to our partners. But some of the things that we're doing on the professional level, we all know in Europe and in other countries, it's less about the result of the game and more about what's happening within the game. Well, that's still very archaic in regards to how it's done. So there are limits in regards to what what can be done. But as different companies starts getting data and the data starts getting faster, then we start getting into predictive opportunities and really engaging fans in a way that historically they have not been engaged. David, how are you, you mentioned the future and the evolving interest of the change, evolving and changing interest of the consumer. How are you preparing for the future specifically, especially as it relates to some of the immersive video overlays here, like AR and VR, which is coming fast uh, to yeah. this industry? Uh, do you do you have a little in, inside think tank? Is it you? Is it you and Bill together? Is it your board? Like. Because it seems to me one of the big challenges for a lot of company like companies like yours, and I would say most companies, is doing a good job of handling the work you have right now, this week, next week, next month, next quarter. But we can see how this is going. The technology market is advancement is relentless, and you have to be ready for it to keep your product fresh. Who's doing that for you, and what do you, yeah, and how so, are you approaching it? Yeah, so there's a couple things. One. Um, you know, we try to really talk to customers, see what's going on in the market, understand where their thought process is, understand what they would like to see. I mean, when you think about your customer, your customers are are really visionaries, right? Um, I mean, I play a really, really, really strategic role and a really critical role in that um, as the leader of the company. And, you know, I have a, a tech background, which allows me to somewhat imagine what can be. Um, I don't know if I would have been this much of a technology visionary if I didn't understand the inner workings of how things work and what can and can be done. And I also think that there are things that we did, you know, five years ago that we're actually reaping the benefits from. The main the main fact that we had like, so for instance, when I talk to somebody and they're like, hey, um, 
we'd like to ingest your data and say, oh, okay, just go to shottracker.com slash developers. And they're like, what? Okay, you have a full open API that I could integrate with. So when we think about our strategy five years ago, people are now catching up and we already have the technology and the infrastructure in place to empower and enable that. So, I mean, look, I think that we're so far ahead. I like to say we're on the bleeding edge. I mean, we were like the first company to actually have resonant charging, which is charging over a distance, FCC certified. And that came after the largest you know, phone manufacturer in the world and one of the biggest watch manufacturers failed doing it. So from our perspective, we, we always try to push the envelope. Um, we try to create an environment that's, you know, conducive to there's no, there's no bad ideas. Um, spit it out, feel comfortable spitting out. We may shut it down, but you need to come back with the next one. So we try to do it in our team. We try to, I mean, David, I'll be honest with you. There's things that David and I talked about five years ago that we're just starting to see come to fruition. So, I mean, it's, you know, again, if you have the thought process that the best idea should win, it doesn't necessarily have to come from you. But if you hear something and you have the technical chops, you could build on it. And we just keep iterating and keep trying to like envision. And, you know, I mean, I like to say we, we're, we're building the plane while we're flying it, you know, to make sure that we're, you know, executing on that vision and, and the cutting edge. I mean, one of the things that we haven't really embraced right now is like Web3 and everything that's going on there with NFTs, et cetera. But we do believe that, you know, we've been having some discussions on what if we use the statistics and data and the ability for us to automatically chop up video based on the context and the hype of what's going on in a game and turn that into auctions and NFTs in stadiums that's only available to people in the stadium. So when we see what's going on, we try to figure out how we could get our pieces integrated to amplify it and help take it to the next level. Joe, one quick follow-up, if you don't mind. Yep. Vivian, um, we've, we've heard about companies that have been using, that, that have been powering some VR training, early, early days VR training in football and baseball and a couple of other sports. Haven't heard that much specifically about uh, the training aspect of vr and ar in basketball is that happening right now yeah so funny you mentioned that yesterday i had a call with a group who just made some pretty good capital that's trying to solve that and when they got off the phone with us and they saw our apis and saw the fact that we could give them three-dimensional data to recreate plays and stuff they started salvating well the funny thing about it is when we envisioned what we can do we, we, we kind of documented all the things that could be done. Not the things that we were going to do, but all the things that can be done that our data could be an enabler for. So here you have a company that is just starting to build their product and they're able to use our data to accelerate the things that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Another funny thing is, you know, four or five years ago, we were brought in because we have a really strong relationship with Apple. Um, you know, they help us with, you know, iPads for all of our teams. We... Our app is built on there. We have a really tight integration into Apple. And um, about four or five years ago, when they first brought out ARKit, we were one of the first ones working on it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we were actually working closely with them, giving them feedback. Like we were on the campus, showing them the things that we were doing, wow. where you would actually, in our offices, I have video in our offices where you're watching people playing and you're literally touching the screen and you're seeing bubbles pop up on people's head. And we were actually prototyping and doing this stuff five years ago. And now everybody wants to come talking about immersive. Like, yo, we've been immersive, you know? And, and, and part of it is like making sure that our core and our foundation can amplify those things. Because we can't do it all. Right. But what we need to do is have the infrastructure so that we could be an enabler to make people's lives easier and on demand. When I was talking to those guys yesterday and they realized they can get my XYZ data with sub-second latency to empower, they immediately wanted to bring all their CTO and their whole technology team on the call. Yeah, yeah amazing. Sense. Hey, um, a, a practical and actionable visionary. How's that for a title? That's a good one. We just made that up. Um, Davion, we're going to let you go in a couple of minutes, but there are two questions that, that I think are good. And one, the last one about advice, not just advice you give to people, but some of the advice that you've gotten from people like David Stern and Magic Johnson that are actionable. But first, how do you stay with all the places that you're involved? 
How do you stay constant with what's going on? And then what is the advice you give to people transitioning or, or people who are just kind of starting out uh, with a new idea? Because lots of entrepreneurs, I'm sure, come and find you. Yeah, so, I mean, the way how I stay up on stuff is I'm a big fan of newsletters, right? Like I try to consolidate because I can't go out. I need it pushed to me. And, and one of the things that I do in the morning is like I try to go through all the newsletters and see what I care about. Oh, wow, that seems interesting. Then I'll pop out and read it. So I try to do that every morning. Like I may just I literally every one of them, I'm doing this right now and nothing there. Next one, mm-hmm. nothing there. Oh, this is important. And I pop out. Right. So I, I try to set up Google alerts for things and topics that I care about. And as it comes into my my email, I try to make sure that I go through my email and I stay on top of my email. So that's kind of my methodology. Um, mm-hmm. I like the social channels. There's different people that I follow. There's different topics that I follow that I care about. But for me, it's there's just so much. I got to like be opportunistic of what I'm looking to, but be really specific in regards to what comes in that matters, right? So now I'm like, I actually have a, I'm doing, I'm, I'm exploring more into Web3 just because I believe that it's, it's here to stay and you know, it is the future. And I'm starting to think about what that looks like. And so I've made actually in the last probably, you know, two months investments in a couple Web3 companies. And that's another way that it allows me to stay close. So even if I think that there's something there and the person reaches out to me and wants me to advise, um, I may say, you know what, I could probably learn as much from them as they could Mm -hmm. learn from me. Um, So I try to embrace those types of relationships and, you know, just to stick current. Um, so that's that piece. Um, in the second question, what I would tell people who are actually getting started, I would say get started. Um, I have this thing that I say, look, you can't, you can't score if you don't shoot, right? If you're down by one and you keep passing the ball and the time goes out, you never even got the opportunity for score. But if you shoot, you got a 50-50 chance. And, you know, I, I, I remember I was, when I was at Sprint, there was this guy who I met with, um, when I told him that I was going to leave Sprint to, to actually go and try to pursue my dreams. And he was like, man, I got all these dreams too. And, you know, I met with him and then I met with him 10 years after and like literally it was deja vu, the same conversation. And he was still at Sprint, you know, no offense to Sprint, but I always tell people like, you got to try, you could always find a job, you know, people who really, you know, think that large corporations are security. I'm like, jump out there, create your own destiny you know, find the things you're passionate about. It's a lot harder. It's a lot easier, sorry, to work till 1 a.m. in the morning when you're passionate on the topic. Mm-hmm. So find what you're passionate about, jump in there, make it happen, surround yourself with good people, uh, eliminate the naysayers. You need people who are going to believe in you, but be honest and real with you because you're going to need that feedback to, to continue to grow. Just a quick follow-up on that one. Related, related to that, kind of fork in the road of let's say working at a place like sprint and or starting a, a new business the corporate route versus the entrepreneurial route what are the key characteristics you'd have to take if you're serious about wanting to go out on your own i mean it's kind of easy to talk about but yep. as you know because you live this it's a lot different than working in a company yeah no it's look i mean look i i you know i see it right like the main reason my friend never really left was because his wife didn't work and he was making so much money that he just couldn't get rid of the security. Um, so I, I encourage people to like do it while you're young, when you just got to worry about yourself because you could sleep on somebody's couch. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can't, as a family man with kids, you can't necessarily do that, right? You have a responsibility. Yeah. But I tell people, you know, from my perspective, you know, you got to hedge. I'm not telling you to like go into your office, cuss everybody out and, and not come back. But I think you have to hedge. I think you have to do some market validation on your idea. And I think you got to take the shot. You know what? You may fail, but the things we learn during failure just makes us stronger for the next, you know, for the next iteration. So when you're at that fork in the road, um, you know, save up as much money as you can, give yourself a period of time and jump out there and, and try to make it happen. And trust me, most people, you know, once you actually get thrown into the water, you figure out how to swim. Mm-hmm. Breathe round. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. Um, last question, Davey, and most importantly, where can people find Shot Tracker and where can they follow you, whether it's on social channels or, or what's the best Absolutely. way to get 
Shot Tracker is just at Shot Tracker, S-H-O-T-T-R-A-C-K-E-R. And then um, on almost every platform, I'm at Davion Ross, D-A-V-Y-E-O-N-R-O-S-S. And um, I welcome questions. I appreciate the opportunity. Hopefully it was fun for the listeners and uh, hopefully they picked up a couple of nuggets. Yeah, I, I picked up a few. Oh, I had no idea about the leading the NCA in field low percentage. I had no idea. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, by the way, I, I love how you just threw that in. That's kind of a very impressive uh, yeah. stat. Yeah, um, you know, I had a, I had a, I probably averaged about two or three dunks it. a game. I probably averaged about two or three dunks a game, which didn't hurt. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I was a pretty, pretty decent scorer. I, I used to get buckets. That's I can barely jump over a credit card now, but back in the day, <laughs> right. 20 years ago, I got buckets. That's fantastic. Cool. Well, now thank my you. son, now my son is doing it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. You get to kind of relive it in a way, have that vicarious uh, thrill that uh, most dads love when it comes to sports. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, David. That was, that was terrific. It was really good to hear from you and thanks for all the insights and we wish you the best for the business going into 2022 and getting into the world of Web3 in some form or fashion over the next couple of years. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Please give our best to your colleague, Bill Moses, my old colleague from uh, my early days in, in sports, digital, back at NFL and NHL. Um, Joe, anything else you want to add? No, it was a great way to end the year, or at least yeah. for people who are listening at the end of the year to talk about the founder's story. And we love founder stories. So yeah. Great, great story. So, all right. So thanks to Yash and Sam for producing as always. We've been listening to Davion Ross, who's the co-founder or co-founder of Shot Tracker, an awesome business. And by the way, I didn't add this before, but this is a good thing. If anybody wants to check out your business, when you go to their site, they've got a section called videos and they've got one of the, the greatest uh, testimonial videos I've seen. Uh, the the big, co big time college coaches like Izzo and self talking, singing the praises of Shot Tracker. That's, a, that's about as good as you're going to get in uh, proof of concept from uh, high level people. So good, good for you for doing that. But please check out Shot Tracker and follow their progress as they uh, continue to evolve their business and hopefully achieve the success that they deserve because they've been working really hard at it for a long time. So Good luck in 22, David, and happy holidays to you. Happy holidays, guys, and thank you so much. I appreciate our, it. Our pleasure, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Joe, happy, happy 2022. Happy, happy anniversary, Tom. Happy six-year anniversary, uh, and looking forward to doing a bunch more of these in, in 2022. Um, thanks to all for listening. If you have any thoughts about guests who might be good for us, any topics you'd want us to cover, please reach out. You can find Joe at Joe Fav and me at at Convergence TR or through the Columbia program. CUS, what is it, Joe? CUS Sports? CUSPS. CUSSPS, yeah, on Twitter. Um, and best to all, happy holidays to all. Have a great New Year's and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.